for Pacifica Radio, November 14th, 2021. I'm Scott Horton. This is Anti-War Radio. All right, y'all, welcome to the show. It is Anti-War Radio. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm editorial director of Antiwar.com and author of the book's Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. You can find my full interview archive, more than 5,600 of them now, at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash Show. All right, introducing this week's guest, Hassan El Tayeb, from the Friends Committee on National Legislation. He is Legislative Director for Middle East Policy there at the FCNL, which is also their handle on Twitter. Welcome back to the show. Hassan, how are you doing, my friend? Scott, good to be with you. I'm well. Uh, Great. Great to have you here. All right. So here's the thing. The biggest deal in the world is also almost entirely unheard of. It's America's war in Yemen, but they call it the Saudi-led war in Yemen because the Americans, well, they're leading from behind, as the Obama people put it. They happen to be the same people back in power right now, by the way. And... I guess I could say from just what I'm seeing reported constantly at antiwar.com and from um, Nasser Arabi, this reporter in Yemen that I talked to, it seems like the uh, Houthi side has the momentum with them and no incentive to quit now. They're taking Marib and all of this. Well, on the other side, the Saudis are losing and so have no incentive to quit now because it's not like they're losing Riyadh. They're just losing friendly cities that they controlled inside Yemen. But it's not like they're running out of money so they can keep the thing going. And they have all the more reason to now from their point of view uh, because they've lost so much and would be humiliated to essentially admit it. But they can stay and not admit it and keep the status quo going. The problem is, though, it's been seven years and hundreds of thousands of people, mostly tiny little babies and toddlers, are starving to death. So you tell me. What are we going to do about it? Uh, Scott, you raise an important point uh, about the conflict and what's going on right now. There's a lot the U.S. can do about it. I don't know if you saw, but the uh, Biden administration just greenlighted a $650 million arms sale to Saudi Arabia. They say it's for defensive purposes, but... We, we know that the offensive-defensive line is very blurry where these are air-to-air munitions. They say they're used to be, you know, to be able to shoot down drones, but they can also shoot down humanitarian aid cargo planes trying to land in Sana Airport. What's stopping them from using it for that? Or using it for, you know, other offensive operations in the, in the war in Yemen. So I think what we could do is start by trying to block that sale. Uh, our buddy Rand Paul, it would be great if he introduced a joint resolution of disapproval uh, to try to to try to force a vote and get all the senators in you know in Congress right now to try to block the sale. We saw Rep. Ilhan Omar actually just uh, she just announced that she's introducing a joint resolution of disapproval, um, and uh, I think that's critical that folks in the House also support that. So that's one thing we can do is just make sure we're not sending a message of impunity to the Saudi-led coalition is they bomb and starve, you know, millions and millions of Yemenis to the brink of famine. 
because, you know, they're incompetent and don't know how to, you know, conduct themselves. Um, so that's one. There's also the National Offense Authorization Act. There's a, an amendment by uh, Senator Sanders and Ro Khanna. The Ro Khanna amendment actually passed, passed the House already, and that would cut off all military aids of the Saudis, uh, you know, for their war and blockade in Yemen, including intel sharing, logistical support, uh, you know, spare parts and maintenance, which are, are all critical for the daily operations of those warplanes. So Congress needs to pass that. Uh, we're going to find out pretty soon what happens in the Senate. I think as early as next week, it'll be taken up if if they can uh, get it together over there. Um, it might actually be kicked till after Thanksgiving. So we're not totally sure what's going to happen on the Senate side, but we've been pushing hard for a vote. And, and you know, uh, lastly, but I think most importantly, is Congress should just force the question, you know, when whenever they want on a on a Yemen war powers vote. And that's something that FCNL is is working on and trying to build support for in the House and Senate. All right. So who are the FCNL's most powerful allies on this issue in the House and in the Senate? And how much juice and how much dedication do they really have on this? Well, you know, I will say that we just saw a, a statement from the L.A. area's own uh, uh, chairman, Adam Schiff. Uh, it was led with a bunch of other reps, uh, Rep Malinowski, Rep McGovern, chairman of the Rules Committee, Allred, Castro, uh, Andy Kim from New Jersey. And, and, you know, they announced that they are opposed to the $650 million uh, advanced munitions deal to Saudi Arabia because, you um, you know, they want to see an end to the war in Yemen. They called for, uh, you know, a lot of that military aid I mentioned for to stop. It seemed like they, you know, it was a very forceful statement. Uh, you know, it's shy of going as far as Rep. Omar did, which is, you know, actually introducing legislation. Uh, but, you know, obviously a good step. So I would definitely put Schiff on our list. But, you know, we, we got to do even more, right? Um, I say uh, Rep. Khanna is great. Rep. Jayapal is fantastic. We've got a lot of uh, Republican members that have been good on this, including Biggs and Buck. Uh, Matt Gates has been really good uh, on on Yemen war powers and Yemen issues uh, and, and a whole bunch of others on the Senate side. Definitely Murphy. Um, uh, you know, he was good at, at, on this at, you know, at one point. It, it's he's not been as forceful on the Saudi led coalition, unfortunately, since Senator Sanders got to give him a lot of credit for his amendment. Uh, he's been very consistent. Senator Warren led a 16 member letter opposing the blockade and saying that we got to use U.S. military leverage. So I would put Warren up there. But, uh, you know, again, no one has actually pulled the trigger on, a, you know, a Yemen war powers resolution to, to force both chambers to actually take a vote. And I think that's a critical next step that that we should take if this war continues and if this blockade continues. I mean, uh, you know, it's just a disaster. I mean, Saudi is just not letting supplies in through the ports of entry. Granted, there are a lot of other problems within within Yemen. I mean, the Houthis aren't Boy Scouts. You got the Southern Transitional Council backed by the uh, the UAE. Um, you've got the Hadi government, which is basically working through the Isla Party or the Muslim Brotherhood, essentially in Marib. And you know, a lot of people don't even know that. But so there are a lot of conflicts inside of the conflict. But the U.S. should be using our leverage with in the way we can. We have leverage over one of the parties. We have leverage over the Saudi coalition. 
and we should use it because if everybody points at somebody else saying that they're the problem and not taking care of their own backyard, I think we're just going to see this keep spiraling. Yeah. All right. Now, so can we do the scorecard from the promises that the Biden people made at the time that they came into power or just two weeks after he was sworn in or so? Yeah. They announced that they were calling off support for this war and then they didn't because we're having this conversation in November still. Yeah. So there I will start, you know, because I'm a I work for the Quakers and we, we like to give credit where credit is due. Uh, you know, I think this is a significant improvement, um, you know, in some ways from what uh, the Trump administration was pushing. They they put a foreign terror designation on the Houthis, which would have prevented all the humanitarian aid work from happening in North Yemen, in the northern part of Yemen, um, uh, you know, where 80 percent of the population lives. So that was one thing that I think that was really important. He restored humanitarian aid to all parts of Yemen. So, you know, those critical operations could continue. So that was another good thing. He did mention that they were going to pause two arms sales, uh, which was good. Uh, you know, I, I think the precision guided munitions were clearly you know, going to be used for offensive operations. And he announced an end to U.S. support for offensive operations. Um, and that's where it gets tricky, where, where he said offensive. And, and he said, we're going to still support, you know, defensive operations. But who knows what that even is? I mean, are these airstrikes going on over Marib? I mean, you, you're seeing as a similar amount of airstrikes from 2020 to 2021. So that's got to tell you something. They announced that they were going to continue the spare parts and maintenance of Saudi aircraft engaged in operations over Yemen. And that has also got to tell you something, that we are definitely a part of this conflict and, you know, uh, you know complicit in these, uh, you know, in these airstrikes and the, and the blockade. So, you know, that's why Congress is stepping in. That's why we've seen over 100 members of Congress since the start of the Biden administration, uh, you know, including, um, you know, uh, Republican Joe Wilson uh, have come out against the blockade. And some have, you know, and then we've got a bipartisan majority that just voted to end all support for the war for the third time in the National Defense Authorization Act. So something has got to give here. I mean, I, I'm I'm hoping that we won't be having this conversation in January and we can be talking about something, you know, other than the war in Yemen that we're still supporting. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Counterpoint. Iran. Iran. Well, I, I think that's a, a point that you're hearing a lot on the Hill, uh, you know, and a, a lot, you know, with the administration, they're obviously concerned about Iran. But my answer to them is lift the blockade then, because the blockade is actually the thing that's empowering the Houthis right now. It's giving them a ton of legitimacy. Since the start of the blockade, they've only consolidated more and more power and created a little empire in, in Yemen. Um, and by opening up the country to humanitarian aid, flights, commercial access, and stop trying to you know, continue the same failed policy of trying to isolate the Houthis um, you know, in, in the way that we're doing and not having any dialogue, uh, you know, that's the thing that's actually going to make Iran less influential. And, and let's just put it into perspective. Saudi, they're spending hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, you know, on, on the conflict in Yemen and, you know, Iran spending millions. So I think you should also know that the, conf you know, the conflict 
is is being overblown with the amount of influence Iran has in Yemen. It's a little outdated at this point, but there's a great piece in the Carnegie Endowment Foundation for International Peace called Iran's Small Hand in Yemen. And I think folks should check that out. Um, and, and again, uh, we have one side of the conflict to kind of you know take care of because that's the side that we have leverage over. And I suggest we use it for the sake of millions of Yemenis, including 400,000 kids that the UN has warned um, you know, are living on the brink of famine and are suffering from severe acute malnutrition right now. They say that those kids will die. And they said that actually back in March. Many of those probably, you know, who knows how many of those kids have already perished from, uh, you know, continuation of uh, the blockade. Yeah. And it's been like this for years now. It's been almost seven years, six and three quarters, I guess. Uh, yeah, nearly seven years, though. It's... Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, it'll be surely instructive, to say the least, when the excess death rates are measured, you know, after the war finally comes to an end, if it ever does. Which brings yeah. me to the other thing, that besides the genocide here, Hassan, this war is treason. And that this war is being fought indirectly, but in a way also quite directly, on behalf of al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. I think it's a disturbing thing to know that U.S. weapons are ending up in the hands of al-Qaeda. Um, and being used in the Saudi coalition forces against the Houthis. I mean, that is just really disturbing. I don't think you know this, but I actually had a, a family member killed by ISIS. So I, I know firsthand. Jeez, I didn't what, know that. In Iraq or Syria? Or? Uh, it was actually the Jordanian Air Force pilot, Muath, that was shot down. Uh, his plane had a technical malfunction and um, he was captured by ISIS and burned alive. Oh, and crap, I've seen that, that footage. My God, I had no idea that was connected to you, man. I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, it was awful. I never met Thanks, him. Thanks, Obama. Um, sorry. My father, uh, you know, my my father was just completely devastated. His, uh, his mom died of a heart attack uh, just a couple years after that. And, you know, his dad is just a ghost. Um, and I, you know, while I never met him, you know, and, and, it just kind of led me to do this work and say, you know, our behavior in the Middle East is unconscionable. We are trying to dominate this entire region and, you know, in, in supporting dictatorships like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, uh, you, you know, as they perpetuate, you know, extremist ideologies like Wahhabism, which is the most intolerant version of Sunni Islam uh, on the face of the planet. And, you know, that's not a reflection of what most Islam, uh, you know, is and what most Muslims believe. I'm actually agnostic. That's another thing, even though I work for the Quakers and my dad's a Muslim. Uh, but I, you know, I think something's got to give. We have to start, you know, taking ownership of what we're responsible for in the Middle East. And, and you know, this is the most simple thing that we could do. Uh, to to really protect millions of people is to force Saudi Arabia by you know cutting off our military aid to this war and blockade, 
you know, and, and really push them to open up these ports of entry. And, you know, it's also the thing that I think is going to help us, you know, get close to closer to a ceasefire deal. That's another thing that's important because, you know, like no amount of humanitarian aid is going to, you know, you know, serve a population of nearly 30 million people. I mean, we need an end to this blockade. We need to open up Sana Airport so Yemenis don't have to take these treacherous journeys, you know, from Aden all the way through like these mountainous terrains, you know, going through these checkpoints and, um, you, you know, and some folks just have been separated from families. They can't leave to get an education abroad, even if they, uh, you know, get accepted to the best school in the world. They can't leave. So th it's time it's time we get serious here and end this war and blockade. That's what I'm saying. Hang on just one second. Hey, y'all, check out thehempspot.com. Did you know? Pot's legal everywhere now. Well, see, it's the Delta 8 loophole. The law says Delta 9 is a crime, so this new isomer is just fine. And thehempspot.com has got you covered. They have all kinds of flavors of bud and gummies and all those things. Use coupon code Horton and get 15% off. Free shipping on any order over $90. Drink less, smoke more pot. Get your Delta 8 cannabis at thehempspot.com. But spell the THC. Hey guys, Scott Horton here for Mike Swanson's great book, The War State. It's about the rise of the military-industrial complex and the power elite after World War II during the administrations of Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, and Jack Kennedy. It's a very enlightening take on this definitive era on America's road to world empire. The War State by Mike Swanson. Find it in the right-hand margin at scotthorton.org. All right, now... So it may sound unreal for some people to understand or to, to be told that the Americans are on the side of Al-Qaeda. Well, depending on whether you've been around the block once or twice or what. But uh, the thing of it is this, and I say this all the time because I think it's a great clarifier. It's very important and it's easy for people to find. In the Wall Street Journal and in Al Monitor in 2015, January of 2015, they both reported that the U.S. military was very happy to see this group of Shiites, the Houthis, take over the capital city. Or at least they weren't against it. And they were happy to have a group of guys who wanted to fight against Al-Qaeda. And the military guy's point of view was, let's kill Al-Qaeda guys. Now, I'm not saying I was for the war against Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, which really began in 2009 in earnest at the beginning of the Obama years there, because it did only backfire and kill innocent people, and was horrible in its own way. But at least it was against the guys that tried to blow up a plane over Detroit on Christmas Day 2009, had bombed the USS Cole. It is understandable on the face of it why they're America's enemies. They are America's enemies. And they're not like Al-Shabaab, where, oh, they're Al-Qaeda linked. These guys really are Al-Qaeda terrorists and dangerous guys. They did the Charlie Hebdo attack in France, for example, and other attacks as well. So... CENTCOM, at that time, under the command of our current Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, then a four-star general, was passing intelligence to the Houthis to use to kill Al-Qaeda guys. The Al-Qaeda guys think the Houthis, as you were saying, the Al-Qaeda guys are pretty strict. They think the Houthis are nothing but heretics worthy only of death. So the Houthis were more than happy to kill them first, with America's help. And the Americans were perfectly happy to tell that to the Wall Street Journal and to a group at... The Atlantic Council, uh, where Barbara Slavin, the journalist, was there and asked some follow-up questions and wrote it up for our monitor. 
it was just two months later, in March of 2015, that Barack Obama stabbed the Houthis in the back and took the other side in the war. The Saudis, the UAE, and Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula against their greatest enemies, the Houthi heretics, worthy only of death in the eyes of the Bin Ladenites. And that is whose side America is on for the last almost seven years now. I mean, it's a super complex situation. I would just say that the war on terror has created more terror. These continued support for Saudi and, you know, as they're, you know, spreading Wahhabism is creating more extremism. And our continued occupation and policy of, you know, supporting regime change wars and coups and military sales is we know where this has taken us and we know where this has taken the entire you know world and i i got started in this advocacy world because you know i i think we can make different choices you know and i think if enough people stand up and push their lawmakers i think we can make it you know a real difference here and we've i, I don't mean to be optimistic here but i I've seen a, a major shift where people didn't even think it was possible that we could challenge the Saudi-led coalition at the start of this process. And then we're passing bills through both chambers. We haven't gotten it over the finish line yet, but, you know, I, I think we're in a, you know, in, in a place that a lot of people didn't think we'd be. So I just want to put that out there in, in the middle of all this, you know, chaos. I know a lot of people can feel like there's so much despair, there's so much corruption, but... Um, you know, I've, I've seen, a, you know, a handful of people, you know, change the world and, and change, uh, you know, make make big things happen. So I, I, I just wanted to put that out there for the record. Yeah. And look, I mean, as I'm saying, I go on and on about it. But as I'm illustrating there with the treasonous aspect of this and as we're talking about with the humanitarian aspect of this, it's a pretty black and white issue here. You can't really even not to anyone who knows the first thing about it. You can't even really characterize this under the rubric of the war on terrorism at all. That was the last war in Yemen. This war is the war for terrorism there. There's just nothing to justify this other than, well, we want to make the Saudis happy. Yeah, no, that's not a good enough reason to have a war against a bunch of innocent people who never even threatened us. Uh, and especially the way the war has been waged against civilian targets and civilian infrastructure there hospitals in the middle of cholera epidemics and fishermen's boats and farms and all these things. You know, I don't know. Who's it up to to decide what's trendy and important in this society? You know, Hollywood actors and rock stars and I guess rap stars nowadays. Somebody, <laughs> anybody? Because it is such a simple narrative. You know, it's, or, well, not that simple, but simple enough. Innocent people are suffering. And we're on the wrong side of the war if we should be involved in it at all, which we shouldn't. It's not that hard, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a very simple thing that we are providing military aid to one of the warring parties. And that warring party is using that military aid to perpetuate a blockade that's cutting off the flow of food, fuel, and medicine. And as a result, we now have, you know, the world's worst humanitarian crisis on the planet uh, with 16 million people living on the edge of famine. You've got 2.3 million kids suffering from severe acute malnutrition and 400,000 of those kids suffering from severe acute malnutrition who, you know, 
basically have a death sentence if we don't get them emergency aid and an end to this war and blockade. So, you know, I, you know, I've come on this show a bunch uh, and I, I think now it is just such a critical moment. I can't even stress it enough. I mean, we are going to see what happens in the Senate next week on NDAA potentially. And, and we have a real opportunity to shift this whole narrative and conversation. We've got, you know, Rep Omar putting out a resolution to block weapon sales to the Saudis. I mean, you know, people are doing the right thing. We just got to back them up. Right. Okay. So let's talk about that. Um, you know, I talked to not enough different people. Uh, Scott Paul at Oxfam, and I talked to you at the Quaker uh, Friends Committee there. And I don't even have a regular from Doctors Without Borders on this issue anymore. Of course, I talk with Nasser Arabi all the time, the great journalist out of Sanaa. But can you talk about all the different groups? Um, Aisha Jaman, uh, I've had her on. Uh, can you talk about the different groups who are working together on this? And, you know, maybe help inspire people of different avenues they might actually take themselves to get involved in this. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think that that's been, you know, on, on a personal level, I have to say that this these years of advocacy I've been doing on this, I've been working on this for about four or five years. I know the war's been going on about seven, but I've been you know working on it in a significant way for at least uh, four of those years. And. I've met some of the most incredible people working on this particular issue, uh, you know, including who you mentioned, Aisha Juman. I mean, Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation is an incredible org, YemenFoundation.org, if folks want to, you know, check them out and contribute because they, you know, they actually do incredible humanitarian operations, but they're not funded by any big governments. They're not funded by, uh, you know, the Saudis or the UAE or the United States. Uh, they take small dollar donations and work with volunteers in Yemen to deliver uh, aid to the hardest, you know, hit areas and some of the these refugees, uh, your refugee camps in Yemen that are hard to access. So, you know, meeting people like that who I, you know, I think deserve a Nobel Peace Prize uh, is just been incredible. There's also Shireen Alademi. Uh, follow her on Twitter. Mm-hmm. She just always lights it up and just tells it like it is. She's an anti-imperialist through and through, and I just just have so much respect for her. Uh, there's a lot of faith groups out there doing this work. I've been working with a ton of you know right-leaning groups, libertarian folks, uh, defense priorities, freedom works, uh, you know, committee for responsible foreign policy, bring our troops home. Um, you know, there's uh, you know demand progress, Quincy Institute. They're doing incredible work. Um, and if folks have not checked them out, I mean, they not just on the on the Yemen situation, but they just really are doing, uh, you know, fantastic analysis of foreign policy around the world and all these different contexts, including China, um, which I think is just so critical that we you know don't end in this uh, end up in a, a massive conflict or cold war with China. And, you know, so they're doing some cutting edge work on that, too. Um, I, I will say that. You know, also just working with some great members and staff like the Rokana staff, they are, uh, you know, friends of mine at this point. And and there's a lot of folks that really care. So I just want to and those folks have made a big difference on, on, you know, on the ground in Yemen. I mean, we at one point we thought there was going to be a a complete closure of Hodeidah. 
Uh, and then Congress, Senator Bernie Sanders uh, and, and Senator Lee and Senator Murphy introduced uh, a Yemen war powers resolution and forced a vote. And we saw, you know, a negotiated settlement to keep that port open, which, I mean, millions of people could have died if that didn't happen. So, uh, you know, so this stuff does matter. I know it's, uh, you, you know, overwhelming, but, you know, I think we just got to keep going. Yeah, that's right. And listen, I mean, you set a great example for people, too. I mean, it's so obvious, but might as well state it. If nobody does the work, the work doesn't get done. Somebody has yeah. to make this happen. It ain't going to be the Yemen lobby because there's really not one other than just, as you say, regular human beings who are just many expats who, you know, would like to see their country uh, cease being torn apart like this. But there's no powerful Yemeni agricultural or oil interests or anything like that in this country anywhere. And they don't have any allies like the Israelis or anybody like that to help them along either. Yeah, there there is no money to lobby on behalf of ending the Saudi-led war and blockade on Yemen. Uh, but there are some just passionate people out there, and I think there's probably a lot of people in in LA that have been working on it. I, I you know I think I came on your show. Um, I, I it was a while ago, and I and I said that. Uh, Chairman Schiff hadn't signed a certain letter, uh, you know, or, or I forget what it was, but but he signed literally right after that. And I, I don't know if it, to this day, I don't know if it had to do with, uh, you know, maybe constituents from L.A. calling after they, you know, we, we kind of put the word out. But but, uh, you know, let's just let's just keep going. Yeah. Well, I sure like to think so. And uh, I think people listening to this show early on Sunday morning in Los Angeles are the kind of people who would make the extra effort. If they think yeah. they have the opportunity to make a difference there, so let's hope so. so. Maybe I can just leave folks with this. Uh, this last, you know, piece is, um, you know, we really need to get uh, Padilla and, and Feinstein to support the Sanders amendment to the National Offense Authorization Act. So if folks could, you know, light up their their switchboards and make sure that they're hearing uh, from folks, you know, in advance of the Senate coming, Senate NDAA coming to the. The, the, the floor in the next week or so, I think that would be fantastic and a great, you know, short-term uh, push. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And seriously, I mean, never mind what TV says. This is quantitatively the most crucial issue in the world. It must be confronted. It must be stopped right now. Thanks, Scott. All right, you guys, that is Hassan El-Tayeb. He's at the Friends Committee for National Legislation. That's fcnl.org. And this has been Anti-War Radio for this morning. I'm your host, Scott Horton. Find the full interview archive, more than 5,600 of them now, going back to 2003 at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. I'm here every Sunday morning from 8.30 to 9 on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA. See you next week.